0: We're beginning a new series this morning and starting fresh uh, at the beginning of this series in Romans chapter 12. And it's just two verses, but don't worry, I won't chintz on the sermon because of it. Romans 12 and verses 1 to 2. Paul writes, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So just as we uh, kick off this series, I want to let you know also that we're kicking off a year When my goal for our church is that we would go so deep into God's word that we would all grow in incredible ways this year. And so this is a year when we're focusing on growth, when we want to offer you all kinds of growth opportunities. And uh, the first one is to look at this series at six habits of the Christian life that lead to growth. So six things that you can do, six practices that you can work into your routines every day and, and on the regular that uh, that will help you uh, there are most Christians would refer to these as Christian disciplines John Wesley talked about them as means of grace and so he said it was a way to tap into God's grace that, that that's what we do on our end to make ourselves available to God for what he wants to do inside of us and so there are things that we can do habits of behavior that we form and, and that we can tap into the things of God. And so that we access his grace. And, and the first of these is something that we've already started to do this morning. And that's worship. And so as we talk about that, you go, well, you don't need to sell me on worship like, hello, I'm here, right? But, uh, but as we look at what scripture tells us about worship, there are things that we can learn so that we can engage as fully as possible in what God is doing in worship. I have noticed, and I don't know if you've noticed over the last few months, uh, for a number of months now, uh, both of our services, there's something happening in our worship services. Am I the only one? But all of a sudden, I, I think our, our worship teams are, are right on track. And, and what they're doing is just leaning into God. And you can tell when you're looking at them up here, they're not just playing instruments. They're not just singing. It's not about how well they're performing. It's about the fact that they are worshiping God. And it's like they're showing us how it's done. And then the voices start to raise. And all of a sudden, you like almost can't hear the band some, some weeks. And it's such a beautiful thing to hear voices raised to that level where everybody is kind of digging in, and and we're finding it in both services that people are just truly wanting to worship, and at least that's what it seems like to me. And so as we we dig into these two verses this morning, Paul says there uh, at the end of verse one, he says, this is truly the way to worship him. So he says in this little nugget of, of explanation that he's given here, in these instructions that he's laying out for the Romans, and, and Romans, by the way, Romans is one of Paul's letters that he wrote to a church that he didn't start. That's kind of unique for Paul. Most of the time, Paul goes to a town, he preaches to them about Jesus, he teaches in the synagogue, he tells anybody who will listen. He usually works, you know, making tents on the side so he doesn't need to take up an offering. And he tries to convince people that Jesus should be the Lord of their lives. That Jesus is worthy of worship. That Jesus is the Messiah. That he's their hero, their rescuer. And that they should rely on him for salvation. And so every town he'd go into, he'd do that and and, uh, and he'd pray for them and care for them. And then when he'd move on to the next town, he'd he'd you know, write back letters to them when you'd hear things. You'd go, oh, you're a little off track here, or, or let me tell you what you're doing right here. That's really great to hear that this is happening, but, but you know, this area may be There's a struggle here that I can help you sort out. And and so he's writing to churches and people that he knows. And and so when we hear what he's saying to them, we can kind of guess their situation, and and, and we can look in our lives, in our churches, for things that are kind of parallel. But to the Romans, he writes them, and he doesn't really know them. He knows it's the capital city, so he says, you know, it's the capital of the empire. It's where everything, you've probably heard the saying, all roads lead to Rome, like, Like, that's from that era. They were the center of the entire empire. And and so strategically, Paul felt like this, if that place knows about Jesus and word started to spread from there, it's got a really good chance of spreading around the entire globe. And and so I need to make sure they're on the right track. And he heard that there were people there that started to believe in Jesus, started to follow him. And and so he writes them to give them some basics. And so Romans is a really important letter because he's talking to people he doesn't know, so he doesn't know what they do know and he doesn't know what they don't know. He doesn't know the problems they're facing, so he's not as specific. He's general, but he's giving kind of the, 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 the starter kit for being a Christian. And, uh, and so that's what the letter is for, and that's who it's written to. People that he knows are fairly novice in the faith and he wants to instruct them in some important things that they will need to know. And so he starts kind of from very basics and explains who Jesus is and what he's about. And and in the four gospels, we hear the stories, you know, that lead up to Jesus' cross and his resurrection. But in, in Paul's epistles, we get the explanation of what that did and what that means. And that's some of the things that have happened in Romans up to this point. And then in chapter 12, He's going to explain to them this is truly the way to worship him. He's going to explain what it means to truly worship God. And so uh, that's such an important thing, though, because worship is the one thing that we will do forever. Like when you think about it, we go, outreach is really important, right? Like telling people who don't know about Jesus about Jesus, pretty essential for us. It's, 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 a passion we should have as a church that we want other people to know about Jesus. When we get to heaven, we don't have to do that anymore. A- at the end of all things, when we are living in eternity with God, we don't have to reach out to anyone. Everybody who's come is going to be there. And so there are lots of things that that change about our circumstance. We don't have to learn uh, about Jesus in that way, it says, it, you know, Paul says, now we see through a glass darkly, then we shall see him face to face. Like we're going we're gonna to be nose to nose with Jesus. We're going to see him up close. It tells us in Scripture that, that his word will be written on our hearts. You know, so you don't have to, it, it, it's not about studying it and trying to understand it anymore, but it'll be written on our hearts so that it becomes a part of us in a deep way. But worship is something that we continue to do for eternity. The angels in heaven worship. They they are worshiping right now. They've been doing it since they started to exist. And so God deserves our worship. And it's the one thing that if we practice it now, we'll never have to put that skill away and say, I'm done with that. I'm retired from that. And in fact, in these two verses of our passage, there's an outline for what it means to worship God and some of the benefits of truly worshiping Him. So what does it mean to truly worship? Paul begins and he says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, and so. Or in the NIV it says, therefore. And I don't know if you've ever heard it, but people will say, well, if you see the word, in the Bible, if you see the word therefore, ask yourself, what's it there for? Like why that word? Therefore, like because of the things I've said, I've, I say a bunch of stuff, and therefore, this. Like this is this is what all of that leads to. This is what it means. And, and, and here in our translation, it says, "So, dear brothers and sisters, all these things he's been explaining for 11 chapters, and he gets to chapter 12 of his letter, and uh, and he's been explaining what it means." that Jesus died for us and, and what that accomplishes and how that works and what our response to that should be. And now he says, because of all that, and so, dear brothers and sisters, and so he's explaining, and, he, and, he, and the first 11 chapters have been teaching r- rookie Christians basic theology, about all God's done for them. And now Paul says, that's why, because of all that he's done for you. So, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. And so, because of all he's done for you, this is how you sh- should respond. He's been explaining to them all that God's done for them in Jesus. And now he says, because of all of that, here's what you should do back. And so, because of all that, because of the, all, all the, those things that he'd explained to them, and, and if you want to spend some time this week and just read those 11 chapters, you'll see the depth and the breadth of, of all those things that Paul's explaining to rookie Christians to, and to all Christians. Just such an important, meaty document of all these things that God's done. He says, because of all these things that God's done for you, you should do this. That's their motivation to give their bodies. And so true worship follows from God's action in saving us. And you should respond to all that God's God's done with worship. He says, because of what he did first for you, you should respond with full-on worship. You should respond to all of that with worship. And he pleads them uh, with them to do that. He says that they should. That This is the takeaway. This is the application. Because of all that, this is what you do. You should give your bodies. You should let them be a living sacrifice. So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a holy and living sacrifice. He says, because of everything that I've just been telling you about how great Jesus is and, and, and what it ha- what, what he taught us and, and how... His death and His resurrection changes everything in the entire world so that we're forgiven and we're free from our sins and and we can live a whole new life because of all of that stuff that I've just taught you. Because of that, I plead with you to give your body to God because of all He's done for you. You should give your body. You should let them be a living sacrifice. And that's their motivation to give their bodies says to the pig you know the orphanage needs food we could give ham and eggs how about it and the pig says nothing doing ham and eggs for you that's just a contribution for me that's a whole commitment the pig knows what's gonna happen right And the thing about sacrifices for the people of God as they hear about this Jesus from Nazareth, as they hear about this Jewish man that, that is the Jewish Messiah, if they know anything about the Jewish faith, they know about temple worship, and they know about the sacrifice of animals, and they know that when you've got these sins, when you get the burden of the, of the shame of your past life, what you do is you go, and, and the biggest act of worship is that you bring a sacrifice, and an animal dies, and its blood is drained, so that you can express how sorry you are for your sins. And how seriously you take that. It's not like God's just going, his, his forgiveness isn't like casual. It isn't, well, that's okay. No big deal. Carry on as you were. Keep sinning. I, I got this. I'm not mad. That's not how it is. It costs. Our sins cost. And, and so these sacrifices are, are a serious thing, and they're an act of worship because they are showing how contrite they are about their sins. And so they would picture these sacrifices as acts of worship, and, and what, however they felt about that, that was the thing that showed their sorrow for their sins. And Paul says, Let your body be a sacrifice throw yourself so into this that you take the place of the animal and you are sacrificed and you know what they do with sacrifices, right? It's not a hen type of commitment. It's a pig kind of commitment if you catch my drift, right? It's full on complete surrender, laying your entire self on the line. And so Paul says, you need to be fully engaged in this. If you're going to truly worship, you need to give your whole self to it. You shouldn't be holding anything back. You shouldn't be making a contribution of worship like it's casual and it's flippant, but it should be everything in you. God deserves that. And so he says, you know, offer your bodies to be a living sacrifice. And so when Paul writes about the response that we should have to all God has done for us, he wants us to fully commit to be all in, to realize the weight of what we owe to God because of what he's done for us and that we should be so engaged in our acts of worship that we are fully everything all the time. And our response to him for his sacrifice on our behalf is our sacrifice in response. But it's deeper than that. Because the sacrifices these people had witnessed, they all left a carcass, right? They left a body of an animal that did not live anymore. And Paul says, I want you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's the difference. He says, when you offer your body, when you throw yourself fully in, when you give yourself to God in such a way that you are sacrificing everything, the irony of that act is that you give your whole self away and you get better life in return. That you don't become a dead sacrifice like the animals, but you can be a living sacrifice because as your old life is drained away with its shame." and its burdens, and its sinfulness, you are born to new life in Jesus. And so the old is gone, and the new has come. The new creation is born, and you become what you were always intended to be. And you begin this process of moving towards Christ-likeness. And so Paul says, you will be a living sacrifice. You'll be dying at the same time that you're coming fully and truly alive. And he says, that should be how you worship. And so he tells us to be all in, but he, he wants us to know we are not all in so that we are drained of life. We are all in so that we can access real life. And then he explains, he says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. He says, there's a way of living that, that's just following like everybody else around you. And, and you can do that and, and you can do that and still come to church and sing songs and have a nice time here and be a pretty good person. But he says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. That's not the way you should be living anymore. You die to this old way of life and the old behaviors and the customs that are common to this world and the way of looking at the world and the way of living in the world becomes something entirely different. So that old way has to die so that you can live in a new way. And so you die to that old life. Instead, you let God transform you into a new person. And so he says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. And even there, you notice the difference? He says, don't copy the behaviors and customs. Like The choice to copy and behavior the customs of the world, that's you. You do that. That's something you actively do. You copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Or you don't. But then he says, don't do that. Don't copy the behaviors, don't actively copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. So your part of the action there is not to transform yourself, not to try to fix yourself up, but to let God do what only he can do to change you. And so he says, look, let go of the old patterns to make space for what God wants to do in you and for you and through you. And if you let go of that and you actively allow him to do what he wants to do because he won't do it involuntarily to you. He doesn't force that on you. He doesn't just do whatever he wants in your life, but he chooses to allow you to, to, to respond to him or not respond to him. And so Paul says what you should do is let go of that old life and the old customs and the old behaviors and let God transform you into a new person like a complete makeover from the inside out he says that happens in a very specific way he said so that you can follow him he says the death Of sacrifice provides this new life, and you get a fresh start without the old patterns, the old sins, and the old shame. And God does that transformation by changing the way you think. So He says, Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. That's not an easy task. Sometimes we get in conversations, right, with somebody we disagree with. And we're talking and they're talking and they're trying to convince us and we're trying to convince them and there's really no budging. You ever had that conversation, right? And you're like, I could, I might be making perfect sense because, of course, we always do, right? And they just won't listen. Of course, some people feel that way about us. But he says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. In other words, there are ways that we look at the world of our own volition. If we are just using our own brains, if we are only looking at it through our own eyes, if we look at the world the way we look at the world, and I think what I think, and I believe what I believe, and we aren't open to God's transforming presence in our lives correcting us, And I don't mean just when we're brand new Christians, but when we are deep down the road, if we aren't open to God saying, this is not how I look at it, your opinion and my opinion are different. If we aren't willing to allow him to correct the way we think when we are thinking, and we may have the best argument in the world in our own mind, but sometimes we are wrong. When you think about the gospel stories, every time we kind of encounter those stories, we go, why are the Pharisees so so dumb? Like, why, why do they not get it? How can they not see that Jesus is the Messiah? They've been waiting for him their whole lives and he's standing right in front of them. How stupid do you have to be? Come on, people, can't you see what he is, who he is, what he's doing, what he's trying to accomplish? Why don't you get on board with that? When we see the disciples fumble over themselves, we go, get the lesson already. Like I learned that in Sunday school. You guys are grown men. And yet Jesus right there teaching you and showing you, how thick are you? But See, the thing is, the thing that they have in common with us is that we all get ideas in our head of how things are and how they should be. And and sometimes we get so rolling and so embroiled in what we think that our opinion becomes king. And even God struggles to change our mind. And I think that's a scary position to be in. And Paul says, look, You need to let God transform you into a new person. And you need to know that the first thing God's going to do is change your mind about some stuff. He's going to change the way you look at stuff. He's going to change the way you think before he changes anything else. Because as long as you're looking at the world that way, he can't do what he wants to do in you because you're always going to resist where he wants to take you. And so he says you have to be open to his correction. You have to be willing to hear what he's trying to say and he'll use all kinds of methods to say that to you. But if you are not listening, if you're not willing to allow his spirit to convict you when your thinking is wrong, then you're in a lot of trouble. And you'll never get your thinking straight and you'll never be looking at the world the way it really is. You'll have your opinion And maybe nobody else can convince you you're wrong. But maybe you're wrong. And so Paul says, look, if you're going to really worship God, you've got to be fully in. And to be fully in, what you need to do is to leave the old way of life behind and to leave room for God to transform you. And the way that he's going to transform you, he's going to start by changing your mind about some stuff. And he's always going to work on correcting the way that you think. And if you're not open to his correction, you never get anywhere in this this idea of worshiping him with your entire self. So he says it starts with the way you look at things. So don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you which is good and pleasing and perfect. And so the new way of looking at the world will make really clear what God's will is for you. He says if you're willing to allow God to change your mind on stuff, all of a sudden that wondering, I don't even know what God wants and I don't know why he won't tell me and I don't know why he's not you know, clear. I, I'd like to hear one of those voices from heaven people you know, seem to have and, and the Bible talks about, it. like I'd like him to just tell me what to do. If you just tell me, then I'd do it. If I could just hear the booming voice, if I could just pray, and magically I had the answer and the solution. And Paul goes, in order for you to get to that, in order for you to know and to learn to know his will for you, you got to be so fully in that you've already answered, yes, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. If you're going to give me the answer, I'm, I'm going to use it. I'm not waiting to decide. Tell me, well, Jesus, you tell me. You tell me what what, what you want, and... Then I'll decide whether I'm willing to do that or not. He's like, no. You're to decide if you believe in him, if you follow him, if he is the Lord. If you're going to let him transform you, then you're going to know that some changes are coming and that you are willing to change your mind about stuff. You're willing to allow him to change your mind about stuff. Whatever source he sends to you with the truth, it, that you are willing to recognize it as God's truth even if it comes in unexpected ways. That's why the Pharisees resisted. They went, this doesn't look like I thought it would look. This is not the way the Messiah I expected. And so Jesus couldn't change their minds, and and, and they didn't do anything to seek out the true answer. They weren't open to see Jesus as the Messiah. And so they missed the whole thing. And there are times when Jesus might come to us and he might say things that we just, well, that can't be Jesus because of whatever. Because of the opinions I already hold that I'm not willing to let go of. And so he says, if you do that, then you actually will know what God wants. He'll tell you, because you'll do something about it, because you're fully in, because you're completely engaged, because you've given your whole self body, mind, and soul, and you've thrown yourself so into it, and you're so responsive to him. You're, You're listening for his voice, and you're open to him changing your mind, and because you're open to him changing your mind, he will and he'll change your mind to tell you how you should think and how you should go about living and what ideas you've got that are just plain wrong that he can correct for you. And he says, when you know his will, you will understand that it's good and it's pleasing and it's perfect. Like God's will for you is perfect. There's no flaws in it. It's exactly what you need and it's the best possible life you could have. And if you allow him to transform you, you will grow in that direction increasingly all the time. And Paul says that's what worship is. It's a response to what God's done for you. It's this response that allows you to throw your entire self into it and to not hold anything back and to be willing to allow him to work in your life and, and uh, allow him to act on your on your behalf and to allow him to change your mind on things that you think and ideas that you hold dear if it's him speaking then you listen and so you let go of everything else and you clear away the clutter of that old way of life so that you can actually hear what he's trying to say to you and recognize that it's coming from him and not some other source, and so that you are willing to change your mind, not for every wind that comes and every argument that somebody puts up, but so that you say, God, what if this is from you, help me to recognize it. Help me not to miss it. Help me not to resist it because I don't like it because it's new to me, but help me to recognize your voice in every idea I hear if if I know what you want. If I know what I should be thinking and how I should be looking at this, then I'll know what you want for me. If I know what you want, I can do it. And we can move forward in our relationship. And Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to do what you want me to do. I don't want worship to be nice singing. I don't want worship to be something I do for an hour on Sunday that I walk away feeling nice about. I want it to be a whole life commitment where I am so thrown into you that you have me hook, line, and sinker every moment of every day so that if you say something, I jump and I go do it. If you tell me to think differently, then I change my mind and I follow your mind because you know better than I know so that I don't miss what God is saying and what God is doing because I don't recognize him when he comes to me. And Paul says, if you do that, you'll know his will. And his will is perfect. You can't get any better than that. It's the best life you could possibly live. And Paul says to the Romans, he's never met him, but he says, if you understand what God did for you, and if you respond with this heart of passionate, all-in worship, not just on Sunday mornings, but every day, every moment that you live, Something will happen and you will lock into the mind and the heart of God as he speaks to you and you will understand where your ideas need to change so that you can understand what he wants and who he is. And it will change everything in your life. And so Paul says, that's, that's what you should do if you know what he's done for you. If you understand that, then that should motivate you to worship with all that you have and all that you are, so that you lose your old life, but you gain this new life.